Hello, I'm Alan Collar, Editor-in-Chief of Eureka Report, finance presenter on ABC News and a columnist with New Daily. And I'm Stephen Main, contributor of Eureka Report, founder of Crikey, shareholder, troublemaker and City of Manningham councillor. And general troublemaker, if I may say. But, uh, but we are the, the Money, Money Cafe. Cafe. Sitting in the short straw, as always. And it's great to see you again, Stephen. And uh, you're all dressed up in a suit and tie. What's going on? Well, I'm sorry for dragging well, you here. That's a very nice an elephant hour yellow tie. In fact, that reminds me of John Elliott. Yes, yes. Who well, I'm, had I'm, elephant tie. He was the elephant tie man. I'm actually going into town to a lunch to hear his son Tom Elliott speak. And it's funny. The PR firm, you know, emailed through and said, "You are one of the five chosen journalists to take." The spots for, set aside for journalists at this lunch. And I said, oh, God. Where was my invitation? It's scarce. I'm special. So I sort of thought, I got sucked in and said, all right, I'll go. And it got me thinking about selling scarcity. Like with Warney's service next Wednesday night, the state government first said only 50,000 tickets. So I've snapped up a couple. I'm going. Now, of course, they're releasing more. That's a classic how to sell is you sell scarcity. Bait and switch. Yeah, and then you and then you release more as soon as, you know, the scarce product is suddenly more available. Mm. So, uh, anyway, and actually interesting news at City of Manningham this week and for all Victorian councillors, we've all well, we've got modest pay rises by the first ever independent tribunal. So they've taken it out of the politicians' hands at last and put councillor pay in the hand of an independent tribunal. So I think councillors... What up do the, you want now, oh, Stephen? Couple of grand to 36, which is very exciting. So, uh, and the mayor's on 120. But the one, the big move they've made is the the deputy mayor goes from being a regular councillor on 36 to half what the mayor gets. So the deputy mayor will be on 60 now. And this is going to be terrible governance because it's going to be very transactional. As you're handing out who gets the mayor because you vote every year, there'll be a consolation prize swapping for votes for whoever gets the deputy mayor. So. I don't like the decision, but um, at least we've taken the politicians out of polit- political pay at the city of Manningham and all 79 councils in Victoria. Now, Stephen, how terrible is what's going on in Ukraine? I mean, I, I saw, uh, I watched Four Corners on Monday night. I just was, because I mean, because it's just so much different, you know, because it was a 50-minute number on Four Corners. Mm-hmm. To watch it sort of sustained over that period is so much worse, so much more. Com- Confronting than just the the grabs you get on the news. It mm. seemed to me, you know, the bits mm. you, bits you see on the news. But Jesus, well, it is the first war that we've been able to see up front. The suffering, wall to wall coverage. Yeah. Um, and uh, I mean, I read your piece in New Daily this morning about it, and I agree. I thought this line was important, where you said it's essential that Ukraine wins convincingly, not with a compromised truce or a standoff. I couldn't agree more. I think this is actually, you know. Never waste a crisis. This could finish off Putin. And as we sit here today, it's exactly four weeks from the start. So it started on the Thursday four weeks ago. I don't think it'll be going in another four weeks. So the Russians can't sustain it economically and militarily. So the poor old Ukrainians have just got to keep getting clobbered whilst the dividend of regime change in Russia uh, beckons. But meanwhile, massive inflation, commodity issues and massive... I don't feel as optimistic as you do about about that. I don't think it will uh, be all over within four weeks. I think um, Putin's uh, Putin's brainwashed his population. I think that the the stories, the news coming out of uh, Russia about what they think they they actually th- think the majority of people seem to think in Russia that uh, the Ukraine was actually controlled by Nazis who were engaged in genocide. I mean, they're, they're, they're the, um, the brainwashing by Putin, obviously. But 15,000 dead soldiers? 
I mean, more than yeah, they had in, 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 in Afghanistan over 20 years. I mean, well, but we, all the parents we know that, but the Russians don't know. Oh, I don't know. You can't sustain those sort of losses. Um, so I'm, I don't know. I'm just hopeful. I guess I'm naturally optimistic, but um, I still think Navalny or his wife, Yulia, will be the next president. It's just a question of how long for regime change. Right. That, that's the optimistic view. That is definitely the optimistic view. But it's having a big impact. I mean, it even influenced your 20-minute um, two-part series on 730 uh, about the cost of living because, you know, yes. petrol, inflation, it's, it's, well, it's massive. It, I think it is re- very reminiscent of the 1970s, mm. the oil shock uh, of, uh, of uh, 1973, October 1973, when the Arab oil embargo began. Inflation went to 12% in the US. Um and uh, the stock market went into a deep decline, a bear market for five years. Mm-hmm. Um, no credible uh, printing back then. And was obviously, there. there are many differences. The, the global economy is much less energy intensive mm-hmm. now than it was then. Mm-hmm. Um, also, there's you know we've come out of the pandemic with a lot of people uh, have savings to be spent, which is potentially inflationary, but still it should hold up the economy. So that mm-hmm. we might end up with. Uh, inflation, but not stagnation. So it mightn't be the stagnation, stagflation that we saw in the 1970s. And I, I noticed you were talking up the $2 trillion in household debt. Um, but just remember, I know it is the world record and terrible, but I know, don't forget that property, residential property is now worth over $9 trillion. It's gone up 22% in the last year. So the gearing, sector-wide gearing, is only... 22%. Yeah, the problem is, is, that, is that 50% of the households have got mortgages and they're record high mortgages. So when interest rates go up, it's going to really bite. That's right. It's, it's, yeah. it's the, the balance sheet, you know, the, the balance sheet of assets versus liabilities is not relevant really. It's yeah. What it's about is repayments. Yeah. And what repayments, the markets are currently pricing for a 2.5% cash rate mm-hmm. up from 2% in a week. Now, so 2.5%, that implies 5, 5%, maybe 5.5% mortgage rates. Mm. Um, so repayments go up to, and I've got a graph on tonight's news showing repayments as a percentage of disposable income at 2.5% uh, cash rate, uh, repayments as a percentage of, um, I'm just trying to remember now. <laughs> You have I just so did, many graphs. I so did, did the graph. I did the graph just before the um, before I came here, and it's. I didn't it was quite get to, you one last night. Last night you did petrol per litre versus average hourly wages. Yes. But you actually had two. You actually had two graphs last night because you got done over on McAuliffe, and they did a they did a, a, a mock. Tosh Greenslade did a mock of your finance slot, and his you graph did. his graph was uh, average cost of children against the colour of tractors. So are they trying to say your graphs are sometimes a bit obtuse? I think they might be. And you might have noticed on McAuliffe last night, both myself and my son wow. were lampooned. Wow. Because he had, they had a segment on, and they actually played Chris's piece yes. on the, that he did on Channel 9 about the impact on fuel economy of cars, of having stuff on your roof, yeah. of having a bike and, and uh, whatever, you know, the, or roof racks and so on, and putting a tent on your roof. Uh, causes 15% fuel efficiency loss, but they but the graphics guys at Channel Nine actually put a a uh, a, a pitched tent on the roof of the car because <laughs> you can't afford to a, buy a house, yeah. As, a, as an illustration, and so they kind of 
uh, took the piss out of that on uh, McAuliffe saying, you know, yes, if you had Jupiter on your roof, <laughs> the loss in the loss in fuel Did you text each other? Did you, were you both watching it live? We had, a, we had a big text exchange yeah, afterwards. <laughs> I was going to ask you, what, what is your most obtuse or fun graph you've ever done on the news? Well, the one that springs to mind was uh, comparing apples and oranges. <laughs> <laughs> the prices. Yes. So Very good. That was a while ago. Anyway, so look, we've got, we've got the budget coming up um, next Tuesday. Are you going up for it? No. In fact... Uh, oh, next Wednesday. So. No, it's Tuesday. It is Tuesday. Okay. It's Tuesday. Yeah. I'm not going into the lock-up this year. I'm going to write the column after, so I can't be bothered. I'm, you know... I've got Don't a co- say you're I, too I'm, old. No, I'm not just, too it, old. It's a big... It's a long way to go, isn't it, to get locked up? Like I don't that. want to do it. You don't have just, the government telling you what to do. And I mean, the best thing about going to the locker was the party afterwards. Yeah, that's right. Which, you know, I'm now I'm New Daly. I'm not going to get invited to the Australians' party. Yes, at, uh, yes. At, um, it, it was at the... Um, it is a big insider celebration. It's all the journos and the boffins and the pollies and the corporate sponsors. And the don't, they're all in there together. The Australians' party is always at the Ottoman and it's oh, great. It's okay. such a beautiful restaurant, the Ottoman. Yeah. And uh, so that was always good, and uh, you know. And then bef- before that, we went to somewhere else, and it was always great. But now, I don't, you know, there's only a couple of people for the New Daily, but you know, they're terrific people. But so you'll, you'll write it from, you'll write a piece for the New Daily off the off the press um, from here. Well, starting at seven thirty. No, it'll be off the budget papers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So but I, but the, I, I won't the, be just writing what no, but the other people are saying, the, Stephen. You, you won't have access to it until 7.30. Exactly. Yeah, so you, everyone's got a six-hour head start on you, so they'll have a good first version yeah, yeah, but of history I'll, and you can then I'll dig file it mid, I'll file at midnight and, and it'll be in the New yeah. Daily in the morning. Now, my prediction is, so the cumulative deficits were $343 billion in the latest MyEFO. I reckon they're going to get it down to under $300 billion. Uh, because the commodity boom is so great and the employment boom is so great. Uh, I think it will be quite a meaningful um, improvement in the fiscal situation. And for me, the big issue is, can they avoid getting to the trillion dollars of debt? At the moment, when you look at the government's debt website, it's $868 billion of outstanding loans, and they're doing $2.5 billion rollover today. They do it every day. They have so much debt. So can they somehow avoid the trillion? Um, yeah, I don't know. I hope they. I hope they do. And for me, the commodity boom is interesting. And just look at the um, the Australian has produced their rich list today, and you've got Gina Reinhardt at the top at thirty two point six billion, Andrew Forrest at thirty one point eight, and Clive Palmer now valued at eighteen point three billion. So that's three individuals worth eighty three billion just on the iron ore boom. And the federal budget will be equally... You probably should explain where Clive Palmer's wealth comes from because I don't know that everyone understands that. Well, he's not a miner. He's just a royalty grabber. So he pegged out some prospective turf, persuaded the Chinese to um, to spend $12 billion building a big iron ore mine and then he just clips the ticket with a generous royalty that's running at hundreds of millions a year and the more the price goes up, the more he gets paid and so he can sit back and spend $100 million on a political campaign and no-one cares. Well, he doesn't care. It's just a round of drinks for him. Uh, yeah. So he's, um, yeah. So, but I mean, the tragedy is for mine is that the WA government still has outstanding debt of $60 billion. So, how, how does a state where you've got three people worth $83 billion off their wealth so still have a to, debt of $60 billion? So, what they need to, well, that's a good question. Appalling uh, value capture by. So, what they should do is just confiscate. 
Gina Reinhardt's and, yeah, and like Andrew Putin, Forrest as well. Like Putin would have done. Yeah. 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 That's right. Because they right. are, in fact, Reinhardt and Forrest and Palmer are, in fact, oligarchs. Yeah, they are, are the they Australian not? oligarchs, yeah. They are. Well, I mean, but to be an oligarch, you have to also try and influence power. So I think Kerry Stokes and Rupert Murdoch, through their media power, are also oligarchs. But the way that... Clive tries to do it and the way that Gina and, and Twiggy influenced the Kevin Rudd super profits tax and, you know. Yeah, they're oligarchs. So they're, they are genuine oligarchs, yeah. Totally. And um, yes, it's not good. So, uh, and inequality has risen with COVID and uh, and these this rich list data is a good example. I mean, like Mike Cannon-Brooks is now worth $26 billion. He's an oligarch. He's trying to He's influence. trying to influence policy big time. He, he Scott is Farquhar, his partner. Scott Farquhar is not. No, he's, 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 just a, tech, he's a, tech, a rich tech guy. Yeah. yeah. And then you've got Harry Triggerboff, $20.8 And then the Canva duo of Cliff Obrecht and Melanie Perkins together were 15.6. So that's – it's basically a list of combination of tech and mining. And Anthony Pratt's the only other one at $27.8 So he's done well since he inherited from his old man. So He has. That's right. No, okay, so we move on to questions. Oh, I was going to do one last thing. The um, the AGM season is... Oh, yes, that's the, right. The, the mini season is starting in early April. So the first one will be Simic Leighton on April 6th, Centre Group on April 7th, where Catherine Brenner, the ousted AMP chair, is back into the boards club. But, and so she'll be voted on, which will be interesting. But as for chair me, of Simic. No, as, as a director of Centre Group, the old, the oh, old Westfield. Oh, Centre Group. But right. for me, the most interesting one is going to be Rio Tinto on May 5 at the Sofitel in Melbourne. So I'll actually get to go to it. Um, and it's farewell to their chairman. So the, Ju- uh, the Ju- Duke and Gorge controversies, he's finally out. And the new chair is coming in that day. So he'll be Dominic Barton, who's a Canadian. It's the first ever climate vote. So Rio is putting up a climate change report and the shareholders are voting on it. So what will the Chinese government do as the biggest shareholder with 9%? Will they approve the Rio Tinto? What are they voting about? Just whether they like the report yeah, yeah. or not? Yeah, so, so all these activists keep on putting up all these resolutions about produce climate reports, how you're going to get your emissions down, and the compromise they've come is stop the resolutions and we'll put up voluntarily a climate report that you can vote on, like with remuneration reports. And Rio Tinto is also facing a second strike at that meeting and a potential full board spill because there was a massive REM vote. Do you think vote. they'll get the second strike? No, I think because the, the chairman, most of the right people have been sacked. So oh, I see. It all comes down to they, they sacked So what are you going to ask them? Oh, I'll just, I'll just ask them about um, when are they going to follow BHP's lead and move back to Australia? You've appointed yet another chair who probably doesn't even know where Australia is. Um, so come and base yourself here because 90% of your profits are made out of WA. And why have you made Gina Reinhart so rich paying her all those royalties over the years? Well, because they had to. Yeah, it's a contract. That's right. So they didn't have any choice. Yeah, so that will be um, – and, and quite a few other companies. People think of the AGM season as October, November, but you've also got um, AMP, GPT, Oz Minerals, Woodside, Santos, Ampol, QBE, TPG. So that's quite a, a disproportionately large chunk of the big caps are actually December 31 balance days. So we actually have a – we get to warm up with them in April, May and then get ready for the main season in October, November. So looking forward to that. This is your, your pre-season, is it? Pre-season, that's right. Pre-season <laughs> training. So uh, <laughs> we, should Excellent. Some, we should do some questions. Okay. Nathan says, love your show and always look forward to new episodes. I'm interested in buying Block. 
the payment company partly owned by Jack Dorsey of Twitter fame, fame who has, uh, where, which also bought Afterpay. However, it seems to be listed on both the ASX and the NYSE. Are these the same company? Why would one buy the ASX stock instead of the new NYSE stock and vice versa? Yes, indeed, Nathan, they are the same company. They are. And uh, the, they are dual, it is dual listed. Correct. And, and uh, the Aussie stock tends to trade marginally lower. So you're an Australian, so I would suggest don't complicate your life by buying the US stock. Just buy the Aussie stock under the code SQ2. SQ2. Because you don't have to have exchange Correct. All uh, that. rate risk. You just don't have to buy US dollars. You just do it in Australian dollars. Correct. Um, and so. the stock actually jumped 8% to 188 yesterday after the block announced the detail of how Afterpay's products would be integrated with their own. And that was good because it, it had hit a low of 115 in February. And if you think about it, the takeover deal was... Um, for every Afterpay share you had, you got 0.375 shares in block. So my four shares became two. But if, uh, if you think about it, Afterpay reached a record of 158 almost two years ago, and now they're the equivalent of 70. So they have still halved from the peak, but 70 is still great when you compare that to some of the smaller buy now, pay later companies like Zip, which has crashed from 12 to $1.65 in a couple of years. So there's been a massive meltdown in buy now, pay later. And Afterpay, having merged with a real company with real profits, albeit a big Bitcoin, Bitcoin owner as well, that I think in hindsight will prove to be a good play. And maybe it is worth, Nathan, um, picking up some, um, some, some shares in, um, in Block. Next question from Peter. Could you help me with the following question, please? Do you know where I can find current average dividend and average PE for the whole of the ASX. I used to access this via the AFR, but I don't think they provide it anymore. I invest using fundamentals, but I've also found this information to be useful when deciding if the market is over or undervalued. Thanks for the cap. I always listen and find your conversations interesting and useful. So, Peter, there is a website called marketindex.com.au, which is very useful. And if you go to marketindex.com.au forward slash statistics, you'll find charts of both the ASX 200 PE and the ASX 200 yield, uh, which will give you what it is currently and what it was in the past. And um, uh, that's probably the best uh, place to look for it, in my view. Nothing further to add, Your Honour. <laughs> Over to Angus. Basic Morningstar ratings for ASX quoted shares seem to be widely available at no cost, but are they any good? Is it, case, is it the case that free advice is worth what you pay for it? Well, they're okay. I mean, yeah. Morningstar's fine. Uh, they're yeah. a big American company. Yeah, started um, in Chicago. Yeah. Global outfit. No problem. Yeah, they're good. Um, I mean, in, the only one. In, can, InvestSmart does a bit yeah. of this sort of stuff you can, as well. You can also get it on InvestSmart, which is uh, an Aussie version. I mean, so you can, yeah. if you're after that. And um, if you want to pay a bit more than, than um, Morningstar, you can go with Lincoln Stock Doctor. I know about 500 shareholders association members use that, although it is a bit more expensive. And I get quite a bit of good stuff off Comsec. So, um, yeah. All right. Jude says, uh, Hello, Alan, and thank you, Stephen, for the explanatory segment regarding the BHP Woodside merger to come. But I, although I digested most of it about the frank dividend payout, I still do not understand if BHP shareholders will then actually hold Woodside shares. Please enlighten us again. Well, yes, you will get... Um, uh, BHP, you will get Woodside shares. For every 5.5 BHP shares you own, you will receive one Woodside share, and this will be treated as an in-specie 
fully franked dividend. And this will be on top of your $2.08 dividend being paid next Monday, March 28, which is the biggest dividend in Australian history at $10.4 billion. So there's a deluge of fully franked dividends coming, some cash and Jude, some in shares. So it's one for every 5.5 is the ratio that you will receive uh, Woodside shares if you're a BHP shareholder. And uh, it's a massive tax rule, isn't it? Oh, it's just, yeah, well, the whole franking credits thing I we mean, all know is honestly. a bit of a tax rule. But, yeah, this is BHP's got $20 billion of franking credits and they're just deluging them out the door post the the, yeah. the end of the DLC because the UK shareholders couldn't utilise the franking credits, so they were hoarding them. And this is the big problem with Rio Tinto as well, is they can't get rid of all their franking credits because, you know, 70% of the company's... PLC shares where there's no franking, you know, the Chinese government with 11% of Rio can't use Australian franking credits. Yeah. So. Craig says, Alan, you must be a busy bloke as every time I turn on the telly, there you are. Um, indeed. And uh, not only that, I'm on McAuliffe. And if you turn to Channel 9, you'll find my son who uh, looks like I used to look <laughs> a long time ago. Anyway. Your program in the past has covered investing in unlisted assets and listener suggestions have been superannuation options such as host plus individual manager products like IFM Australia Infrastructure and ISPT Property. Just recently, Host Plus put out a significant event notice saying that they are closing all individual investment manager options and current investments investors in these options would be mapped to an alternative Host Plus sector option on 30th of the 6th, 2022. Seven current individual manager options will be dropped, including IFM Australia and ICPT Property. Why would they do this? ICPT Property option is half the fee, 0.39% of the mapped transfer to host plus property, 0.85. There's part of your answer, Craig, I would say. Um, Yeah, higher fees, but they're also just trying to make their life less complicated. So I think these these products were introduced when people were leaving them to go into their own SMSFs and the industry funds wanted to hang on to the client. So they said, all right, take your lump sum, but then come back with us and we'll let you pretend you're a wholesale investor by you'll be able to pick the infrastructure play through IFM or the, the property play through ISPT. And then I think after a while, they just worked out it was too damn complicated to have individual retail investors in what really is a wholesale product. So they're forcing you now to have all your exposure to IFM and ISPT through the Host Plus investment, not you having your own little bespoke tiny holding in in those two separate funds. So, and the explanation in the in the release, the explanation was that. Um, they thought these were not diversified enough, mm. that the, uh, these are individual managers and mm. SMSFs should be more diversified. But as um, an SMSF person remarked to me, they can make up their own mind as to how diversified they are. They don't need Host Plus to tell them what to do. And uh, nobody's putting all of their eggs into one uh, Host Plus option. Mm. So that was but a the bit funds of a furphy. Are, And the industry funds are still offering, like you can pick individual stocks within your portfolio, within industry funds. So there is still some ability yes, not just to be, you know, lumped into asset classes. You can do some stock picking, but you can't do property picking, uh, that sort of stuff. Okay. Um, g'day, Alan and Stephen. Last year, the government made some changes to the Corps Act, which impact hybrid bank securities. These changes are captured, as is usual in government circles these days, under the acronym the PDDO provisions, or in long speak, the Treasury Laws Amendment Design and Distribution Obligations and Product Intervention Powers. Jeez. 
prima facie, it would appear that the changes favour wholesale investors and sophisticated investors, whoever they are, receiving first dibs on the offerings at the expense of retail investors. Can either of you shed any light on what's going on here? What brought this on? Was it some bureaucrat? And uh, is this something following on from the Hain Royal Commission? What's going on here? So we have covered this before. This is the tougher regime about who's sophisticated and who's not. And, how, well, and the fact that hybrids have been brought under the sophisticated investor regime, or uh, unless you have an advanced financial advisor. Correct. So you either have to be a sophisticated invest, investor as defined, which is an income of 250000 or assets outside of the family home ah, of 2.5. I got that wrong last time. It includes the family it home. It includes the family home. Yep. $2.5 million. Um, so... Uh, uh, so therefore, uh, or, or you have to have a financial advisor. Now, as I was saying last time, which you corrected me on, was it's actually there's a lot of houses that are worth mm. 2.5 million these mm. days. So uh, a lot of people do qualify as sophisticated investors, although you have to apply for every two that. years. You've got to get a certified accountant to fill in the form to say you are sophisticated. Um, and so the, even the stockbrokers don't like this because while it looks like they're getting more fees from clipping the tickets because you have to go through them, they're also sick of filling in the forms too because they're having to get many of their existing clients to fill in new forms so they can continue to service them. So Because many stockbroker clients are not sophisticated because they don't have two and a half million. So look, the stupidest element of this is, is making hybrid rollovers, forcing redemption on the so-called unsophisticated. That's just stupid in my mind. But for anything pre-IPO where there's no prospectus or product disclosure statement, then yes, you, do, you should be sophisticated. But sophisticated should not just be financially measured. There should be a knowledge test, which is what the Stockbrokers Association are advocating for. Post-Hain, stockbrokers are being forced to sit exams to prove that they're smart enough. They've got to come back from lunch early and you know, sit these exams. And if the stockbrokers have to sit these exams, well, why not people who are supposedly sophisticated? Because there's a lot of people sitting on big houses who, you know, didn't well, get past year 10 maths and, and not very sure, sophisticated. Yet exactly. They can be ripped off as a supposedly sophisticated money, investor. Money is not necessarily a, a guide should, to sophistication. It be money and knowledge. As we've seen on the rich list, if I may say. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Like... Yeah, it's sort of bogan billionaires, isn't it, really? When you look at well, Clive and Twiggy and a few others. But they're all very – I mean, it's, it is oh, – it's Dr Twiggy now. I think he has Andrew a Forrest is sophisticated. Yes, he's, he's very he's sophisticated. Fair, so. That's fair. And, and the fair Atlassian twins met at UNSW studying commerce, so we can't call so them – So they went um, to uni? They're okay? Yeah, yeah. Anyway. So just – just oh no, we won't get into that. Now the next question is um, from. Oh, oh, it's my turn, but yeah, you read I, so it, Dom. It's a, but it's a it's a it's a go at me. So all right, so I'll read it then. Yeah. Alan, I was randomly listening to a podcast you did with Equity Mates in 2017, where you indicated your dislike of ETFs and were spruiking managed funds. I think you said something like, "I'm disgusted with Alan with Warren Buffett. He's made it so boring." This seems at odds with your current view. Can you explain why your thinking has changed, if it has indeed? Uh, uh, well, it's changed a little bit. I'm still not a big fan of ETFs, uh, uh, although uh, when I was talking about that in 2017, the ETF industry was relatively unsophisticated. Now there are a lot more ETFs that are quite targeted. Uh, on, you know that are you know you can buy a, a cyber security ETF, you can buy uh, artificial intelligence, you can buy very targeted, interesting ETFs, and those are a good way for unsophisticated investors to get exposure to equities, it seems to me. My problem 
then and still with buying an ETF in, the, say, the ASX 200, is that you're basically investing in mostly in resources, big miners and banks. About 30%, 35% of your money is going into big miners and banks. And I reckon, well, if you want to invest in those, do it. Invest in them. Make a decision. Um, but uh, investing in, in companies according to their size is not necessarily the best thing to do. Um, and uh, the, the, my change of position has nothing whatsoever to do with the fact that I now work for a ETF provider. <laughs> <laughs> of course not, Alan. No, Investmart is an excellent company and its shares have been rocketing in recent times. Well, I, I, I sold rocketing, mine at 10 cents and now they're 40 or something, aren't they? Well, so you definitely sold too early. Yes, they're, I did. Now, I don't like ETFs because they don't hold AGMs. They're very boring and you can't go to the AGM and ask any curly questions. But I do agree with you about the targeting and I don't like fund managers, particularly post-Magellan, where they've lost a lot of money now and they're still charging retail an excessive 1.3% every year. So ETFs are not that expensive, and so they're a low-cost way to get diversification. And, you know, we've just been talking earlier about how we, you know, uh, industry fund clients can no longer get into IFM infrastructure or ISPT property trusts through industry funds. Well, there's hundreds of ETFs where you can pick your exposure. Um, so I think they're overall a good, a good low-cost innovation for diversification, if not a bit boring. And there you are. Much more exciting to be a stock picker with AGM Barneys, but... If you just wanted something safe and solid and You're not a diverse. stock picker. You just buy everything. I know. I've got, you've, fo- you've I got, got 500 500 holdings. stocks. I mean, the world's largest portfolio. Actually, I've got... So I don't think you're picking, Stephen. I've, I've got one, actually. and yeah, I've got 500 <laughs> companies worth 35000 but I've got a capital-raising play that I'm hanging on at the moment. It's called Stanmore Coal. And, yes, I'm in this dodgy coal company. But they've done a capital-raising at $1.10, and the stock's currently at $1.85, and it's got unlimited overs. So if there's a shortfall, the other retail who apply. So I've gone in for 17 grand. So and I've written to them lobbying about how they do the scale back. Now if they're generous to the little little guys, I've asked them to be. Could be a four, five, six, seven thousand dollar payday. Um, keep my wife quiet for a couple of weeks, and about my very strange career. And um, but I suspect they'll scale me back to zero like usually happens with these uh, situations where something is well in the money and, and all, everyone's throwing the kitchen sink at it in the hope of well, it, making it, some cash. But if, if only to throw a spanner in your work, Stephen. Yes. Well, Which would be, you know, from their point of view, probably worthwhile. Well, hopefully they say, oh, if we look after this guy, he won't come to the AGM, so well, let's give maybe every applicant maybe an extra five nice grand. Well, I've written a very polite letter congratulating on them on their excellent coal acquisition off BHP as they divest for ESG reasons. So, anyway, we'll, uh, I expect to get zero, though, but uh, that's the way of the world. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Money Cafe, everyone. It's been... Uh, Great to be in here with Stephen Main, as always. James Thompson will be back next week, so send in a question for him or me and we'll answer them together next week. The questions should be emailed to themoneycafe at eurekareport.com.au. And hold us to that prediction. I'm saying war over in four weeks and you're saying war still going in four weeks. Yes. So we'll talk about that in four weeks. We will. Who gets to shout the coffees? Thanks, Alan. That's a, gr- that's a grim bet, that is. It's a very grim bet. I just hope that the Russians get slaughtered. Until quickly. next week, I'm Alan Kohler, Editor-in-Chief of Eureka Report. I'm Stephen Main, the tallest and smallest shareholder in most ASX-listed companies. And a, uh, we've been the Money Cafe, haven't we, Alan? We have. 
See you next time. See ya.